Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 340th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's traversing the warp in search of 40k gold specs so you don't get wrecked. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co host is Derek the Dark Mage at Oko Assassin on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hello everyone, I'm Derek the Dark Mage, and I'm looking forward to discussing the serious impacts that Dominator Knight is having already on constructed formats this weekend. This show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to plan your specs, chat on Discord, and read the articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MDG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Derek, what is on the agenda this week? Well, James, we'll have our usual four segments. First, we're going to kick things off with the weekend tournament review. After that, we're going to walk through the top movers of the week and discuss why we thought each card saw financial gains. Then we're going to do our cards to watch, where you and I share our key cards that we have our eyes on at the moment. And finally, we're going to wrap up with our topics of the week, which include this week, we're going to talk about the changes that were recently announced to Magic Online, which is one of my areas of expertise, uh, and then also jump into some of the week one deck lists that didn't make the top eight this week. Fair enough. So jumping right in here to the MTGO metagame week in review, Modern Challenge on September 4th. Ooh, we got a spicy one at the head of this top eight. Goblins has made its its immediate debut after the publishing and uh legalization i suppose of the newest goblin lord uh, that's rundvelt horde master out of dominaria united has got people reinvestigating this archetype that I, I guess common opinion amongst people that play the format is that this has largely been an underplayed uh, archetype that even before horde master goblins was a solid deck that you could pick up take fnm probably win some matches with and it's got a couple of pieces, new pieces over the last five years that have made a difference. And then Horde Master really drives it home. Yeah, it's. I agree. People viewed it favorably, but no one wanted to pilot it at a serious level. And now we have this new Lord who, you know, on its face, even a two mana Lord on its own would, I think, accelerate the deck. But providing additional reach through card advantage uh, every time you're sacking goblins is pretty incredible and so great to see it do well right off the gate other uh, other of the lords did well too but this really was the breakout star of the weekend i'm just looking over goblin matrons printing history here last printed in seventh edition before showing up again in modern horizons is seventh legal in modern seventh is i think it eighth is the start right so that means that Matron MH1 gave us uh, Goblin Matron as a starting point to boost the, the deck. And then they also got Munitions Expert, which is the 1-1 Flash Goblin for black and a red that states, whenever it enters the battlefield, you may have it deal damage to target creature or planeswalker equal to the number of goblins you control. 
They also got Conspicuous Swoop, Snoop in M21, which gave them a way to play goblins off the top of their deck. Uh, and they also picked up Den of the Bugbear, which gives them a Goblin Rabble Master type effect on the land, uh, as well as Blightstep Pathway, a black-red flip land out of Kaldheim, and then Sokenzen, Crucible of Defiance, of course, in Neon Dynasty. So with the five or six additional pieces, do you, what's your gut on this? Do you think we're going to see more goblin, goblins in the coming week in the top eight? Probably. I also think we're going to see a lot more Furies, uh, even though they're one of the most prevalent card in Modern already. Fury really does a good, pretty good job on this deck, wiping out a, a substantial amount of the board and making them uh, be forced to rebuild. But you've already seen, just in response to the increase of Furies, I've seen uh, some splash other colors to help combat that uh, in other decks. So, for example, I saw some decks running uh, White Splash just to be able to have protection from red. Uh, so the one mana creature that you know you could sack it prevent prevent all red damage for example uh, i'm not sure if you'd run that in the goblins deck i think this was in a coco company deck but you know things like that i think are going to start to pop up in sideboards and then counteracting sideboard tech as well um, so we'll see that bounce around but I, I think we'll see this stick around we've also seen separate from this the elves deck do fairly well uh, it didn't do well this weekend but i think that was partly just because it's a little bit harder to build the goblins deck uh, is pretty standard. You know, you look through this, there's not a lot of things you can cut. The um, Conspicuous Snoop, beyond having it just uh, provide access to the top of the library, it does combo uh, when you have Kiki Jiki on top of the deck. Uh, you're using that um, constantly. Uh, I'm trying to remember exactly how that combo works out, but you can basically play out most of your deck. Uh, and so it's got some of those pieces where you can't live without the other, and so the deck is pretty refined going forward whereas the elves build i think there's a lot of different ways you can take it and so it's been fun to watch folks both in pioneer and in modern play with that and figure out you know how to take that one to the next level so rounding out this top eight we've got four color omnath glimpse of tomorrow running four leyline binding another dominaria united card that people are pretty excited about the idea here is that with two uh triomes uh, that have at least three different types different from each other, you'll end up with five land types in play and get to cast this thing for one white mana, right? And so a lot of people are thinking that there's going to be quite a lot of this running around. Uh, I guess some people might think that it would show up in places like blue-white control as a white uh, removal spell. But the thing is, if you're only running two colors, then you know you don't have the multiple different triomes that let you really get this cheap enough to make it worthwhile like nobody wants to run this as a three mana removal spell right i think so i think the most you want to pay is two and you can get there i think fairly easily with triomes the question is is it worth the trade-off and in reaction to this weekend we might start to see more hate on multicolor uh, leylines binding was in about nine of the uh, decks spread across two challenges both almost always as four ofs so it's saw a lot of play and so we might see more blood moon type of effects either makers of the moon or blood moon itself come in and do you really want to be susceptible to that or if you're running a lot of things that search up basics obviously you want to have a critical mass to um, to fight against those decks so i think we're we're going to continue to see it in these five color four color builds uh, less so in the three and two color and i you know for right now it doesn't seem like people are stretching to fit it in but if it's as good as people 
make it sound to be. Maybe we will eventually with those triumphs, but not yet. Third place, we've got Char Belcher. Haven't seen that for several weeks in the top eight. Um, notably here, this is basically outside of EDH, the biggest source of demand for DFC flip lands from ZNR. Uh, fourth place was Living End. Fifth place and eighth place were both Hammer Time with the Blue Splash for Reality Chip. And then sixth place was Eight Thought, which is a updated version of an affinity style list where you have uh, four copies of Thought Monitor and four copies of Thoughtcast, hence the Eight Thought uh, deck moniker. And the whole idea here is that you're just powering out your entire deck. Probably the, the most notable recent additions here are the Four Urza Saga that they got access to last summer. The two Treasure Vault that they got from AFR, the two Ottawara Soaring City from Neon Dynasty, as well as Patchwork Automaton, a foil uncommon out of Neon Dynasty that I've been pulling out of my collector booster openings uh, as one of several uncommons in that set that look like they probably have a future. This is a two mana 1 1 construct, and keep in mind that may well become very relevant as a creature type when we head to the Brothers War in two months. Uh, ward 2 on this creature and then whenever you cast an artifact spell put a plus 1 plus 1 counter on Patchwork Automaton. So the idea is here is you just drop Frogmites and Memnites and Ornithopters and Sojourner's Companion which is the updated 4-4 uh, for 7 uh, affinity card and as you're doing all of that the Patchwork Automaton turns into a 4-4-5-5-6-6 four, four, five, five, six, six. then you're slapping a Cranial Plating or a Nettle Cyst uh, or a shadow spear on these creatures and swinging for the fences. This is interesting seeing the target list for Urza Saka. You're either grabbing a welding jar, shadow spear, I think is the most likely target, or an aether spell bomb. It's a pretty limited target list, so you're really using that Urza Saga to build out your army of giant constructs. So produce constructs, right? Yeah, con- construct creature. Um, I love this deck. It's a big thing in Legacy right now, or at least it has been uh, when some of the new cards were printed that accelerated it there. It's great to see it in Modern. Anything that runs Cranial Plating or Nettle Cyst is really a fan favorite of mine. It means it's relatively fair. It's having enough time to equip those and swing for the fences. Uh, and with that Thought Monitor of having Flying, you know, it really does give it that strong body in addition to uh, Ornithopter to get through damage. So hopefully we see this more. I, I don't think we've seen a lot of this lately, have we? At least in modern no. side of things. No, this has been a once every blue moon kind of deck uh, showing yeah. up for top eights. Um, but they heading into a big artifact set in a couple months where Construct, again, could easily be a, a centerpiece tribe uh, as the brothers build infinite robotic armies the i would imagine these kind of decks are looking good to get some fresh pieces yeah and i love seeing two treasure vault in there which is a card that you know i, w- I actually looked at for the cast recently the supply was a little too deep uh, but it is in thirty-seven thousand edh decks so it has a strong foundation and if that starts seeing a little bit more competitive play i think it could really take off uh, they also have Relica Progenitus as a target to go after Living End and some of the other graveyard-based decks um, from Saga, so there is that. Finishing up this top eight, we've got Black-Red Midrange, fairly standard list there, and uh, then that Hammer Time list was an eighth. Now, you wanted to flag on the from the challenge, the modern challenge on September 5th, which was the next day, um, 
some additional uh, early appearances by Dominaria United cards again. Yeah, the first is really more of what we talked about uh, with the the second place deck, Glimpse deck, is having Leyline Binding show up again as a four of for a second place Indominable Creativity deck. Pretty standard Creativity deck, but it throws in four Leylines Binding, uh, and it does throw in, I believe, an additional Triumph to make it five color, making that tr- uh, Binding one mana, of course, making it, which is critical for the success of that card. You know, I, I'm. It's interesting to me to see Leyline Binding in so many decks week one. Um, you know, it wouldn't have surprised me two or three weeks in as people figured it out. Uh, but this is a card they just jammed, and it seemed to have a lot of success uh, in several different archetypes. And so it was also in not top eight, but it also was included in various pile strategies just money pile strategies as well so it's doing well Uh, it's across multiple different archetypes and as a result we saw the pre-order prices of this really spike to uh, kind of unsustainable levels about 18 dollars or so uh, for the non-foil basic copies and paper and so curious to watch uh very curious to see where this ends up in three four five months once you can build a sideboard around it and maybe blow out your opponent but for now doing incredible uh, the other deck, which is just really, it's even hard to describe. Oh, sorry, sorry. I just want, I want to back up on this Indomitable yeah. Creativity deck, because this yeah. thing is quite the pile. Four Run and Six, three Archon of Cru- Cruelty, four Indomitable Creativity, two Transmogrify, four Fire and Ice, three Lightning Bolt, three Prismari Command, Prismari Command, four Spell Pierce, four Fable of the Mirror Breaker, and four Leyline Binding. I mean, that's just like a pile of cards from somebody's binder. <laughs> Yep. Wild uh, stuff. Wild, wild stuff. It's interesting to see even the two Trasmogrify. Usually you see one. Um, I've been seeing two more often, and that's one that we've seen some price moving on. It it used to be just absolute bulk for a long time, Uh, but the premium copies of that have been starting to move as a result of this deck. That's another one I've been watching going forward. Um, It's great to see, you know, just one more deck with Fable to the Mirror Breaker. The card is absolutely bonkers. Um, it is doing work in every single format all the way back to legacy and it's it's really unbelievable how um you know each of those modes are fine right they're not neither none of them are absolutely broken but when you combine them together with that flexibility it is such a good card all righty moving on over to the pioneer challenge i actually wanted to talk about the oswald fiddlebender deck the third place list Ooh. This list, it, like I said, it's even hard to describe, but the reason I wanted to point it out was, A, it's bonkers. It is, yeah, this is crazy, it is too. Crazy list, but importantly, it has four Sarah Paragon, which is One. it is the Dominator United card, four mana, two white, two uh, colorless. that allows you to replay spells uh, three mana or less from your graveyard or lands uh, once per turn. And it exiles them, so you can't do completely broken things like Mishra Bobble Loops, but... It provides you a lot of reach similar to Luris, and we talked about it a little bit last week. This deck is running four, uh, and on top of that is running multiple combos, including, um, you know, just first off, it has Regavan four of just to get things going, along with Asper Sentinel to provide value. It's got four Oswald Fiddlebender, which is a card that Aspiring Spike was playing with quite a bit a few months ago, but then fell off the radar. It is a uh, <clears throat> legendary creature, one white, one uh, colorless, and its key ability is a 2-2. Key ability is 
uh, tap for one planes, sacrifice an artifact, search your library for an artifact card with mana value equal to one plus the sacrificed mana value, put uh, that into the battlefield, then shuffle, activate this only as a sorcery. So what it does is it allows you to take your artifacts, uh, you know, really scale them over time, and that can be just straight value. So this deck has a lot of random targets, uh, including Crucible of Worlds, uh, Batter Skull, Embercleave, uh, Haloed Fountain, uh, Cauldra Complete, and you're finding those off of either Fiddlebender or Stoneforge Mystic. Uh, and then on top of that, it has... Oh, this deck. It has <laughs> so many things going on. Uh, so on top of that, it has the con the combo with Crackdown Construct. Uh, so this is a uh, four mana creature, colorless, 2-2. Two, two. Whenever you activate an ability of an artifact or creature that isn't a mana ability, uh, Crackdown gets plus one, plus one till end of turn. And so what that does is combos with another piece in here, which is Lightning Greaves. Uh, so if Lightning Greaves come into play, you're able to equip it, and on a, equip it to one creature, equip it to another over and over again because the equip cost is free. And each time you're doing that, you are uh, building up your Crackdown Construct to infinity power and eventually swinging in for the win. So that's one combo you can search up. Another combo you can search up is the Thopter, sort of the meek combo, which of course gives you as many Thopters as you have mana. And so, and then on top of that, there's just a whole host of things in there uh, because, of course, it's a Yurion build, so it has 80 cards, tons of options. Uh, if you haven't seen this deck, you should check it out. It's the third place on the September 4th challenge, and it is, it looks like an absolute blast, but it looks like a very challenging deck because there's so many options in it. And so I'm looking forward to Yeah, I can to see, I can see messing up the lines of play here pretty easily. And I think you have, you have to be the kind of player that's either amazing, no matter what you touch, or kind of player that is comfortable losing many <laughs> matches on your way to perfecting the deck. Um, it actually appeals to me. I can see myself picking this up. The Sarah Paragon is, of course, a pet card of mine from Dominaria United. Seems like one of the top three mythics. I've been saying that all along. And then we've got a whole bunch of other stuff in here. Rabbit Battery as a foil in common, yet again, from Neon Dynasty, that looks like people should be putting aside out of their, out of their pseudo bulk from that set. And Bray as Apprentice out of Modern Horizons 2 shows up as a one of yet another MH2 card top eighting for the first time, as far as I'm aware. Uh, it's, a... it's actually seen play a little bit in Legacy in mono red painter servant shells, which gotcha. is hard to believe, you know, a card like that. It looks so innocuous, but yeah, it's doing some work. It's a 2-3 for 2 and a red human artificer artifact creature. When it comes to the battlefield, you get a Thopter. And you can tap, sack, an artifact, and then either exile the top card of your library and then play it until the end of turn, or target creature gets plus two, plus zero until end of turn. So it's kind of got a dual mode where it's either drawing you cards or giving you access to additional cards or functioning kind of like an equipment, almost like a, a bone splitter. Yep. It, I, I can't wait till I'll run through a week or two of the decks of this weekend and uh, report back how fun it was. Alrighty, so moving on, we've got Pioneer Challenge from September 4th. This one was a pretty straightforward. Blue-white control in first. The mono-green list uh, without Teferi, notably. Blue-red Phoenix with two fires of victory. Uh, Bant Coco Spirits in fourth. Transmogrify with three Titan of Industry in sixth. Uh, 
black red sacrifice in seventh and black red mid range with three Liliana of the Veil and three graveyard trespassers. So as follow up to our uh, commentary over the last couple of weeks about, you know, would Liliana displace trespasser? Turns out they just play them alongside one another. And you, you made a note here. Lily was also ninth in the, in the ninth place list, the 11th place list, the 12th, the 20th, 25th, 27th, 31st, and 32nd. So looking like Liliana of the Veil is going to be a stalwart of the pioneer format, even if she's not showing up very much in modern. Yeah, and we're starting to see, especially after the weekend tournaments, five uh, O lists with a lot of new archetypes, um, some Esper, some Black White, some others that people are playing with. So right now, Liliana is sliding into the existing decks. Whether uh, we didn't actually see a lot of Grease Fang, but a lot of Rakdos did very well amongst others. Uh, but I think over time, we're going to start to see Lily in a lot of strategies that we haven't seen before. Uh, at least based on preliminary results. So she's doing what everyone expected. And, you know, I think a lot of uh, boomer magic players are rejoicing. Probably the most interesting list here is this fifth place mono white artifacts list. Um, this is for Bomat Courier, for Ginger Brute, for Ingenious Smith, for Ornithopter, for Patchwork Automaton. Again, this is two different formats. Uh, four Stone Coil Serpent, two Ghost Fire Blade, four Portable Hole, one Shadow Spear, four Spring Leaf Drum, two All That Glitters. This is an enchantment aura from Eldraine that says enchanted creature gets plus one plus one for each artifact and or enchantment you control. And then four Michiko's Reign of Truth, which is a saga from Neon Dynasty that says for the first two chapters, target creature gets plus one plus one, plus one until end of turn for each artifact and or enchantment you control. And then when you flip it, I believe it turns into a portrait of Michiko, which is gets plus one plus one for each artifact in enchantment you control itself. So it could give something plus four plus four plus five plus five, two turns in a row, and then turn into a four four five five six six seven seven if the game is still go- going at that point. Um, pretty interesting deck here. Doesn't look particularly expensive to put together. Could be could be fun on a Friday night. We've seen other iterations of this come and go. Sometimes they include blue for the uh, the five five. You know, create a take take the land, create it into a five five, and start swinging type cards. This is a little bit more streamlined. It looks like, and Genius Smith obviously is pretty incredible with giving reach uh, and keeping you alive. You know, over time, seems solid. It's interesting. There's not a single new card in here except the pain lands i believe so it didn't get a lot of tools it is interesting i've never seen i guess i haven't really paid attention but roadside reliquary uncommon land in the sideboard that taps for colorless or pay two um, sack it draw a card if you control an artifact draw a card if you control enchantment so this uh, gives it a little bit of card advantage as well hadn't seen that tech before that's pretty interesting so yeah this is been around but i think this is a newer version i haven't seen this before and reliquary is another uncommon from neon dynasty mm-hmm. seeing solid play across formats so because that's the kind of thing that you see in in edh reasonably often as well okay moving on over to top paper movers we'll jump right in here street wraith at a future site foils uh, already at a pricey 70 dollars moved up to about 110 or so 60 percent gains on the back of being a persistent living end staple as a four of sram senior art 
Edificer, the secret layer version foils that were recently delivered to purchasers, went from $340 to $6 or so. That's an early 75% jump. Not super surprising given that it's in 45,000 EDH rec decks and sees a decent uh, helping of Pioneer play. Day's Undoing foils out of Origins went 70 to 130. That's uh, 85% gains. Some copies actually selling in and around $95 to $100, and there's just two near-mint copies left listed on TCG Player at around $145. Most of that is on the back of Legacy Play, yes? Yeah, Legacy, uh, as well as a little bit modern, people have been toying around with the strategy of using Naraset with Days Undoing and you know, refilling your hands, stripping your opponent. It uh, is more prevalent in Legacy, where you can do the Hull Breacher end of turn and then do Days Undoing the next turn. <laughs> Nasty. Yep. Uh, Lich's Mastery of Dominaria foils going 9 to 17 on the back of being a Shieldred combo card. Likewise, Wrath Capacian ships Mage out of the original Dominaria, foils going $1.50 to $3. Not a huge gain, um, but it's showing up as an auto-include card in Joda, which is the top commander of the week. This is the five-color commander that focuses on legendary creatures. We've got my selection from last week, Malakir Rebirth foils going 5 to $10. Uh, didn't take a whole lot to move that price point. Lull Mage Mentor out of Zendikar, foils going 7 to 14. Uh, that's going to be on the back of Merfolk and Ixalan. Uh, return to Ixalan hype for next fall. And then Leyline Binding out of Dominaria United, foils early. Keep in mind, we're not even at opening weekend yet, going 7 to 18. Uh, I'm a seller on this card all day long at these elevated price points. Yeah, paper, paper rares can't hold over 20 uh even Besaju. actually that's not that's not even the foils i think that's the, the non-foils non for yeah. line binding um, yeah i mean look at Besaju. that's the absolute high watermark and that is you know low 20s so i'm a seller at this every day the difference between ledger shredder fable of the mirror breaker and Besaju, three huge standout standard rares and this card is that those three are massive edh cards and this card is very unlikely to be Uh, Teferi Who Slows the Sunset was another one of my picks three weeks ago. This is the Double Masters version, uh, silver screen, non-foil, going 10 to 28. So that is deemed a success, I suppose. Skylasher out of Dragon's Maze, uh, set designed by one of our moderators, uh, Dear Alexis, $1.50 to 550. This is on the back of Pioneer Anti-Shredder and Bant Spirits tech, I suppose. Yeah, bounces in and out you see it every once in a while it, it does what it does and it does it well so you just have to have a meta meta that is um, appropriate for it conducive yeah i mean it's been a while since dragon maze almost 10 almost a decade so uh not super surprising to see even a, a sideboard foil uh, eventually drain out and then nullhide ferox uh out of guilds of ravnica three to 13 on the foils on the back of it being pioneer tech uh, against Liliana of the Veil. The idea here is she makes you discard it, you slam it into play, and go to town. Yeah, when people posted about this, I was like, oh, funny, haha, you're going to be able to get them, right? And now that Liliana is seemingly everywhere, I think it might actually see play. We'll see. Um, not confident, but it is something where, you know, if you got in early, it's, you know, I'd, I'd still sell, at least sell half the copies, make your money back, plus some, and then lock in your gains. But, you know, if this if this truly became anti-tech, it could get expensive. It is a mythic, uh, which you know 
and it's not very recent anymore, but I think I'd sell at this price. I agree. Uh, all right, let's uh, that wraps up top paper movers. Moving over to top Magic Online movers of the week, we've got Liliana herself debuting in Dominaria United, started out at 20 ticks, got up to 29 ticks. You think this is heading down opening weekend, and then you're looking for an entry point? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I sold half my copies that I bought at 15, at around 22, 23, not knowing where it would go. It continued to climb to 30, uh, and so right now, it's about where it is. Typically, Mythics from a new set uh really get to the lowest point about a week in so this might be its low this could be a card uh especially when combined with redemption the ability to get this in uh, you know paper translate your digital cards to the paper version uh this might continue to grow i don't think it'll slouch back to under 20 but i uh, might be proven wrong but yeah, i think going forward it's gonna be a strong online card it is everywhere on both standard and pioneer and standard does matter still on Magic Online. Leyline Binding also on the move, 13 to 29 tickets there, and that's a rare, not a mythic. That cannot hold, right? This is this is a, a situation where you want to short this card opening weekend? So used to be, I would say yes. Uh, in recent sets, as less and less is being played, TBD. Uh, so you look at Beseju, which saw a tremendous amount of play, and that continued to grow. It started around... 20 ticks went to 40 and then eventually went almost to 60 and so and that was a rare as well obviously Visage is an incredible card uh not sure you can has you know have this hold a candle to that which sees such broad play but uh, rares these days you know you look at uh otherworldly light that went up to about 15 ticks uh, but it has seen a lot less play than at least binding is last weekend so i think it'll probably hover around 15 to 20 but if it continues to do as well as it has been, I could see it getting up to 30-plus uh, consistently over time. I mean, I'm looking at something like Ledger Shredder uh, on Magic Online, where GoatBots has it starting out at 2 ticks. Spikes super hard up to 62 tickets by May 24th, so within the first 30 days of release. Then slides all the way down to 31, spikes back to 50, and has been on a downward slide ever since recently bouncing off 24 or so and currently around 26 27 so feels like there must be a shorting opportunity in front of us yeah all those movements are over a long period of time that's part of the challenge so the fall from you know 40 to 30 took about a month uh and that was pretty deep into the set so maybe i i if it got to 34 if it gets to 40 ticks i'd be interested in shorting it if it gets to 50 i would absolutely short it um but i don't take anything for granted with these cards that see multi-format or multi-deck multi-format play because this is also seen play a little bit in pioneer in the niv-mizzet shells and you know i think it could catch on more if they are able to you know really warp their deck around it and that might take some time so we'll see, but uh, it's not seeing legacy play. I sort of doubt it will see legacy play. They have so many good options there. So that is something against it. Whereas Beseju, Ledger Slider, uh, Unlicensed Hearse, these other rares that hit 40, 50 ticks really have that uh, legacy play, which online is a big deal. Also in the list this week, we have Grinding Station, uh, Fifth Dawn version going from 230 to $7. 
was there a strong result for a guiding station deck in a recent legacy tournament so i think a streamer played it i saw it a little bit on twitter you know it was fine the grinding stations decks pop up here and there one happened i don't know six eight months ago and grinding station got up to almost 30 ticks and the bots literally put a tweet out saying this is uncommon just give us your copies this is ridiculous so it's one of those it's just such short supply if anything happens it tends to move pretty volatilely uh but yeah i these decks come and go they don't seem to have the staying power which is always surprising to me considering um you know the what is the name of that card the red colorless enchantment lets you play things from your graveyard still legal which is just broken Uh, actually you know why this is on the move Ross Merriam won the SEG Con Columbus on September 2nd, Friday-Saturday tournament, the 20K. Uh, went 13-1-2 and two and finished first place with a blue-red, I don't know what we call this. It's got Dragon's Rage Channeler, Ragavan, Ledger Shredder, Emery Lurker of the Lock, and three Grinding Station for Underworld nice. Breach. So this is like a... Breach Underworld Breach. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah Breach Station Blue Red deck that has some elements taken from Merktide. Uh, that's a relatively new list. I'm curious whether we're going to see it in the online queues, uh, top eighting sometime soon. It's great to see paper come back in that sense, where you get these decks that you just don't see otherwise. The Magic meta is so somewhat inbred, somewhat just too. Um, optimized so another scg deck i saw do well had uh it was kind of a trod list but it had four um four of the artifact now i'm blanking on the name uh mystic forge yeah that yep, yep. you know allows you to play uh the colorless cards off the top artifacts off the top and it, it did it was in the top 12 i don't know how it actually finished but i i know we had some pro traders reporting movements of their uh of that card on their TCG accounts, and everyone's saying, you know, what happened? And that's what happened. It moved because of the SCG top 12, and it's great to see paper moving prices again like that. Um, You know, you see those cards that come out of the woodwork because this is their, you know, pet pile. It's their, you know, something they've worked on for years and they're really proud of, or they just don't have other cards, right? They can't optimize. And either of those leads to, you know, these decks spiking tournaments that you just don't see on Magic Online, which is great. As somebody who has Russian foil Mystic Forges sitting around that have gone been in the bad specs box for a while, I'm very happy to see the foils for this single printing card down to just five listings on TCG Player starting at about 14 or $15, heading for 30 plus in a hurry. Um, yeah, the... <laughs> With it, with almost nothing coming up that could be a reprint opportunity for this, outside of maybe the Brothers War, the or say a Secret Layer, Mystic Forge could well be a, a solid gainer heading on through the fall. I'm trying to remember: is it banned in? It's restricted in Vintage. I'm trying to think if it's restricted in any other format. I think it's just Vintage, right? Yeah, which is not really going to be a relevancy for its yeah. price point. Not relevant, but it, it just shows you how. Uh, yeah, anytime things get restricted or banned in Legacy or or Vintage, it's always a, something that pops up my ears and says, well, this has the potential to be broken. Obviously, it's a totally different format and things aren't the same, but uh, a card that does well, that that well, is something that always has potential in other formats. Also already in 30,000 decks on EDH Rec, so very, mm-hmm. very much an EDH stable. 
Finishing up this Magic Online movers list, we've got Minsk and Boo, Timeless Heroes, out of the Commander Legends Battle, battle for Baldur's Gate. Uh, this uh, Planeswalker, underestimated Planeswalker, has been doing a lot of work in Legacy lately, and this is the uh, Magic Online version going 23 ticks to 90 ticks, 291% gains. And then you said it crashed already all the way back down to 45 ticks? It did, and that's partly because of changes that were done to Magic Online that we'll talk about a little later. But basically, there was an ample supply uh, within the first few days to uh, make it go down. It didn't crash to a sense. I mean, 45 ticks is still very strong for Magic Online. But if this was three months ago and things were being handled the way they have been in the past... This could have stayed 100, 120 ticks for a, the foreseeable future. Uh, but fortunately, this time around, they put enough copies in uh, the treasure chest, which is the only way to access this card, and were able to bring it down to at least a more reasonable level of 45 ticks. Gotcha. Shifting on over to cards to watch, I'll d- dive in with my first selection this week. I'm taking a look uh, this week at the cards that I think the new tribal lords, the elf lord, merfolk lord, and goblin lord, might put pressure on if the decks um, that they show up in uh, start to do more work, uh, especially in modern. First card I'm looking at is Elvish Warmaster Foil Extended Art. This is actually a card I called on this cast way back close to the Kaldheim uh release period probably within the first two months of release uh, so about a year and a half ago called it to go seven dollars to 20 and instead it slid from seven all the way down to three because elves basically just didn't do anything in modern for that period and there was no new elf commander build around commander that was released that really caught fire so uh all of that uh meant that Elvish Warmaster has been drifting along at just $3 for the Foil Extended Arts, but it's a four of in the now updated Modern Elves list, and it's in 14,000 decks on EDH Rec. There are 24,000 decks total uh, for Elves on EDH Rec, and Elves are the second most popular tribe in Commander. So the overall supply on these is slowly drying up, and I would imagine that if Elves is discovered to be a playable deck in modern and people start to pick it up more frequently then these could be on the move but i think that is similar to my second pick a very conditional thing there's a reason this is called cards to watch not cards to run out and buy immediately because you need to be looking for the elves to post the results before you are in a position to mitigate your risk on this spec I'm looking at the difference between foils, non-foils. They're pretty close in terms of listings. Well, it, it's, a, it's actually even more interesting, just let me to drive that point home. Regular copies, some regular copies, are posted above the foil extended art yeah. price, which is yeah. probably being driven by competitor competitive players that just want regular versions for their decks to right. test out the Elves build. Yeah, I think, I think the foil's great. The Kaldheim collector boosters there's a mass cracking of them deep into their distribution if you remember the the phyrexian boron clex saw 150 copies hit the market which that was a pretty rare card to have 150 come on from one company shows how big that crack job was i think things like the world tree which have very strong demand hit you know over a thousand copies posted so not surprised to see these fade a little bit since you originally called them but those kaldheim mass crack jobs have now finally dispersed uh, they've kind of gone out into the market and so you should start to see these things start to rebound 
And I think this is one that if you haven't played against it, it's hard to realize how potent it is and being able to develop, you know, your board, have additional elves come to play and then also have the overrun ability because it just can be backbreaking and it's just so flexible. So I like it. I think I would maybe consider looking more at non-foils than foils just because I think competitive play would drive a lot of this and you know, I think those players might look more towards the extended art non-foils than the foils, but I think both will do well over time. We're down to 47 listings here, and despite that uh, aforementioned mass crack job that went on on this set, there are no major walls on this card. The, the biggest number of copies posted by anybody is three or four, and those are closer to 7 to $10 copies. So I think to say that these are going to go 3 to 10 on the back of some combination of Modern Legacy and EDH, because Elves is also a Legacy deck. Um, so between all three of those, Warmaster looks like it's in pretty good position. Yeah, I agree. And that really leads into my next pick, which is Conspicuous Snoop. I'll just jump ahead because that one really aligns with what you're talking about. Uh, going with the themes of tribes, Conspicuous Snoop is one of the linchpins of the Goblin deck. Uh, it is absolutely irreplaceable in what it does we talked a little bit about it earlier but allows you to combo off it provides you know really a ton of value uh and it's one where it was printed in m21 which at the time felt like a high supply set but looking back on it, it was pretty low supply uh and so it is done uh, fairly well overall as a set but conspicuous soup extended arts are still only about five dollars which is not bad considering uh, both its competitive play and the fact that it's in eleven thousand edi direct decks so uh, not an insignificant amount uh, and this is you know really again it's irreplaceable to the deck there's a lot of goblins that might come and go but i don't think things uh, are going to do the same as as this and even if they reprint it if you have the extended art you're a little bit insulated from that so i have picked this uh, going from about where it is now, which is $5, to 15 It might be a little aggressive, uh, but I do think over time this is uh, just going to continue to drain out and uh, get more valuable. And if Goblins really takes off in Modern, it'll get there quicker than otherwise, but I think it'll still get there over time. Yeah, these are very similar picks. They're both tri- tribal linchpin cards, foil extended art versions, best available version, no likely reprint in the, in the foreseeable future outside of a secret layer and you know both well positioned for as long as they dodge a reprint they've got that edh backing and potential for modern to drive the nail in faster so yeah uh, i like this as well i think they're they're both very similar likewise my second selection is one of the um bottlenecks to build black red goblins in in modern anti's hovel is a black-red tribal goblin land that has only ever had a single printing. And that printing was over a decade ago. So if you want to build black-red goblins, you've got to have hovels. The thing is, that hasn't really been a deck in modern for some time. So if you look at the price history for hovel, it's been just flat basically the whole time. And unlike uh, Snoop, which goes into every goblin-based EDH deck, Um, the hovel does not necessarily because there isn't a black red commander in uh, EDH for goblins that sees a lot of play. The the most popular commanders for goblins are Cranko Mob Boss, uh, Muxus Goblin Grandee, Gut Trusol Zealot, Perforos Zada Cranko. 
The only two goblins that get played that have black in them are Wart Bulgart Auntie, which is the second most played, granted, and Grenzo, which is the eighth most played. But that the, the total of Grenzo and Wart is only like 1,600 registered decks. So if you're going after hovels at their current price point of $17 as a lore win rare, you are definitely A, betting against a reprint, which would almost certainly tank the price, and B, you're betting that this deck is actually going to see significant play. So in the case of all three of these specs, Warmaster, Snoop, and Hovel, I think you're looking for additional results and looking to act. Now you can move earlier, but you're going to take on additional risk to do so. It is amazing to look at Hovel's sell history on TCG Player. It is four, four, four across the board. About half of the sales are three to four copies. Um, that is something that can move copies quickly, right? If people are buying one ofs here and there, that's something. But when you have people buying four ofs uh, pretty consistently, it can chew through copies very quickly. So I, I love this. It has high potential. Obviously, the reprint risk is real but like you said this wasn't um goblins wasn't a big archetype over the last couple of years and so whether or not they prioritize i mean it, is, it would be a flash in the plan to pan to reprint this because all of a sudden it's going to get dirt cheap if they do in any sort of real set outside of a secret layer well and that's and that's just it i, I don't think there's anywhere they can print it in the next year that's not a secret layer right and even a secret layer i mean we've seen those come out and you know, for cards that have any sort of significant demand, it doesn't crush the price. You you tamper things down, maybe you'll lose a couple bucks here and there, but it's not going to kill it. Um, so I, I like it. I think it's good. Um, I'd be curious to... There's a hundred and... I'm looking at this. There's a hundred or so vendors. Obviously, a lot of the copies aren't near mint, so you can't just look at that here. Uh, but of the hundred or so vendors, there's only eight that have four or more and the biggest is eight copies so there's not any real major walls which is great um and so by selling four ofs and you know having a lot of sales especially with the recent spike in goblins i think you could chew through those hundred vendors pretty quickly i i also think that the hundred vendors is is definitely not representing the situation i, I think you're leaving your condition unchecked if you click near mint Auntie's hovels, you're down to 29 listings total, and right. And but I would argue um, competitive players don't care if it's near mint as much as you know. I don't think I don't think I think the convergence between moderately played and near mint on something like this is going to be pretty close, generally speaking. Sure, fair point. Uh, all right, so tell me about your second selection here. Sure. The next selection I have is Opposition Agent, which is a Commander Legends original Commander Legends card. It is in 81,000 EDH rec decks, which is obviously pretty fantastic. There's not actually a lot of walls, which surprised me. Um, when you look back at um, Commander Legends, you know, it's one of those things where cards, even like this, with very high demand profiles, often had huge walls because Commander Legends was open and cracked like crazy. Uh, but it has been a long time. Uh, it's been two and a half years. The supply really got cut out earlier this year. It is clearly not being reprinted anymore. And so you're starting to see those walls on these major cards. We talked about Opposition Agent or about Jeweled Lotus a few weeks ago. Uh, similarly, Opposition Agent with just huge EDH demand uh, is doing well, relatively speaking. It hasn't had a ton of price change as a result yet. It's went from its low of 8 or $9 to 11 
Uh, but based on all this, I'm picking it to go from about 11 to 20, which is, you know, I think pretty reasonable. Uh, and one of the reasons I'm confident in this one is that it is um, the analog to Hullbreacher, and Hullbreacher was very disliked. And so I think by reprinting Opposition Agent, you're kind of um, reminding people that Hullbreacher sort of existed. Um, additionally, Opposition Agent requires you to be searching your deck, which means you know it's more competitive-based, which doesn't really fit with uh, kind of a pre-con type of situation. So I think it's going to be hard to reprint. I think it has that stigma associated with it in Wizard's Eyes with Hullbreacher. Uh, and so I don't think it's going to see a reprint soon. So based on that strong demand... Uh, have the regular copies going from, like I said, 11 to 20, roughly in a year. I'm not sure I agree that there's a specific relationship between Hullbreacher and Opposition Agent. They were definitely spoken of in the same breath at the time in terms of both being oppressive, and I have heard people say that this card is almost as nasty. Um, But I'm not aware of it being on the watch list for the uh, EDH Oversight Council. And as a result, I would I would think that this is just going to keep trucking. We've missed our entry point a little bit here. It hasn't actually been two and a half years. It's only been 20 months. Like, uh, Commander Legends was fall of 2020, and we're heading into fall of 2022. So I think it was like November, and we're in September. So we're like at 22 months or something. The So it's had about two years to mature, and it bottomed out at just under $9 for regular copies uh around sorry but around seven dollars for regular copies back in march and it's been climbing pretty steadily since so it's gone from 750 or so to about 11 in the interim so we're up about 50 percent from the winter time and now we're at 200 listings all told 144 if we're just looking at near mint no gigantic walls uh mostly onesies twosies threesies foursies but a lot of purchase history. If we look at any given day for this card, just looking at, say, near mint regular copies, plus light, we'll throw lightly played in there as well, and you're selling something like 10 to 12 copies a day, pretty brisk sales. So, yes, we're at 144 listings still, but given how quickly they sell and the fact that nobody is cracking commander legends anymore finally the odds of this taking off over the next year to year and a half seem very high to me i'm pretty sure i called the extended art foils at some point in the first six months after release and those are currently down to 13 listings lowest price is 69 dollars. nice and very quickly ramps up over 100 like right now is is about your last chance to get a foil extended art original printing opposition agent for under $75 because very quickly five, six copies are going to dry up and it's going to be an $80 card, then a $90 card. I see. Are you dark mage game sip on? I am. Yep. So, so, so you've got a hundred dollar <laughs> copy listed. You might actually get more than that in, in the not too distant future. Um, all of that says that people love this card, that it does a lot of work in EDH. And if we look at the EDH rec stats, Opposition Agent is, and I would guess, like, what, 23,000 decks or something? Let's see. No, I'm uh, way 81, under. 81,000. Yeah, no, 81, it's huge. Massive staple. Huge. So, yeah, I, I, I like this pick. I like the timing. 
we could have we could have made people a few more bucks if we mentioned it a few months ago but you know we we find the pennies where they lie uh i am shocked i i i had to look it up because i honestly didn't believe you i'm shocked that commander legends is under two years old the original i uh and this is coming from somebody with cases upon cases in a storage room uh that is it's amazing how slow time moves sometimes and obviously so fast other times <laughs> so i mean especially if you're holding sealed it seems to slow to molasses i'm sure yeah they, I, and the sealed if you I, I mean just a side note that i was buying and recommending strongly at about 90 dollars, 100 dollars tops per per box in the cases and now that's over 100 it's been consistently over 120 and will continue to climb you know i'm very confident at least i was before it kept getting reprinted that it would be the next um you know kind of two-headed giant type of set where it's over two hundred dollars uh this one got printed pretty strongly so there's a lot of copies out there but still very confident in that sealed product going forward all right so my final section this week is yet another card that is conditional on some things happening they've been passing out foil extended art slivers in the secret layers that have been arriving last couple months and that's got people talking about whether slivers are going to make an appearance in an upcoming set. If we look at the blueprint artifacts that they were including as special cards in the Secret Layers last winter, we predicted on cast that it would herald the uh, that treatment potentially being used in the Brothers War. And indeed, it does look like there will be some kind of premium treatment available probably in the collector boosters that will be something like the blueprint cards. Um, so does the slivers showing up mean that we're going to get some slivers sometime in the next year? I don't, I honestly don't know that that could easily be part of the narrative. It could easily not be part of the narrative. One of the cards that's on my radar though, if we get the, the slightest hint that that is true is sliver legion foils out of time spiral remastered a set that had a high average box price over $200 that had a, one of the lowest print runs in the last three years of all Magic products, and that has only ever been printed three times. Once in Future Sight, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. Time Spiral Remastered, a year ago last spring. And then the Judge promo from, I want to say it's either a year and a half ago or two years ago, that's currently sitting at about $100 a copy and starting to edge up. So you've got original Future Sight foils, which are $200 plus. You've got Judge foils that are $100. The only other premium version of Sliver Legion is this Time Spiral Remastered foil, and there are just 23 listings left on these. You can get a few copies at around $25, and then pretty quickly it's going to climb up over $30. And if we catch wind that there is, in fact, a Sliver Resurgence coming, like a Sliver-themed commander deck or something, then... Fancy foil sliver kings and queens are going to be all the rage again. So I got crushed on this card. <laughs> on this specific version? I was ordering this specific version. I was ordering this when Time Spiral, prior to the second kind of wave of Time Spiral Remastered coming in, I ordered a large number of these um, from Europe and just got decimated i think i was in at about 50 dollars a piece 48 dollars a piece that, that, that looks like an um, october 2021 yeah price point. that sounds right so um that was terrible but you know you win some you lose some that same order i had yogmoth old borders coming in for pennies um compared to what they are now and i also had uh the gemstone caverns which 
in foil are now going for 150 bucks. And I was buying those in stacks as well, foil. So you win some, you lose some. But I have 10 copies right now on TCG Player that are priced at what I bought them, and that is double market. <laughs> but no, I I like this. I think um, the Judge foil being at 100 is obviously the ceiling. You know, below that is the ceiling, but that gives you still a lot of room to go from you know this price to what do you have is it uh i would say 60 i without looking at your spreadsheet what did you pick it to go to oh the price point currently is 25 and i'm saying 25 to 45 in 12 months yeah i think that's reasonable i think going more aggressive honestly if if there's hype you know hype tends to go to spectacular heights and so i think you could probably even if you have a small number you could sell them for you know 50 55 but uh if you only have if you have a bigger stack selling them more like 45 sounds about right speaking of gemstone caverns i'm pretty sure i have a russian foil caverns and a russian foil urborg i pulled that i should probably get up for sale i could i couldn't believe that those hit i mean this is a reprint and it hit 150 for a foil and it's i mean it's a good card but it's not that good. I guess the deal there is that the only other foil version that's ever had was original Time Spiral. And those those foils are $250. And there's actually only a single copy listed currently on TCG Player, 225 near Mint. I'm looking up. I'm not sure how played that as an EDH. And that's, I guess that's where it's coming from, really. is 70,000 EDH rec decks. There you go. Which is... That's higher than I would have expected. Because if you if you caverns with a soul ring on turn one, <laughs> you're you're <laughs> well ahead gross. of the game. <sighs> yeah, and I guess you're you're not the starting player more often than not in EDH, whereas in competitive it's fifty fifty. Yeah, exactly. All right. So I think out of all these selections this week, uh the Legion, the Snoop, the Hovel and the Warmaster are very results dependent. So if you're looking at those as specs, if you go ahead, run out and buy them right now, you're definitely taking a flyer. I would caution you to wait for results and news to chase those. I think Oko's opposition agent here is probably the most solid pick because it's not waiting on anything else to happen. This is just a great card that is slowly running dry. And the longer it dodges a reprint, the more value it will accumulate. Appreciate that. I tend to agree only because, yeah, the conditionality. You never want to buy cards based on week one decks. Yep. Uh, at least for the long term. You want to see that they can withstand resiliency of the metagame because, you know, players are very, very smart. They are able to outwit most things, and it takes a very strong care to overcome that. And so, whereas these are doing really well now, there's hype, there's interest. Six months, it might be totally different. Alrighty, let's move on over to the weekly topics. You said that a bunch of changes were announced for Magic Online you wanted to walk us through. Yeah, let me pull up my notes here. There was really a complete revamp of several things that are happening on Magic Online, which I think are important not only because of the details, which you know may or may not be interesting to folks, but really because it instilled a lot of confidence in me in the new company Daybreak Games, which has taken over the day-to-day management of Magic Online. So that transition started earlier this year. They contracted with Daybreak. uh, And over the last six months, you've seen the transition starting with weekly articles, moving over to, um, in my opinion, how the treasure chests, which are, you know, a dominant structure of the Magic Online economy, are uh, collated in the most recent announcement. All these things are starting to, you've seen change 
since Daybreak has become involved. So most recently, this week, they announced that the treasure chest would be completely revamped in a couple different ways. One is that they simplified them. Prior to their changes, there was about 12,000 different uh, math options that were in the treasure chest. Some things were in at a drop rate of 1, which is very, very rare. Some things were in at 50, which is uh, relatively common. One of the things they did was they boiled it down to, uh, I think, at most a 5 or 6 drop rate uh, and a total denominator of 450. And so it just made it a lot more legible about what was going on. They stripped out a lot of options and really targeted the value of these treasure chests, which, of course, drop uh, a curated list of important cards, usually expensive cards. Uh, And within that, now that it's more focused, you can really tell where the market is going to be impacted because if something's being dropped every... 400 chests and you know you're seeing tens of thousands opened a week you can be pretty confident those cards over time given enough time will slowly degrade in value so anyone watching closely can know what's expected in the market uh, which is good i think any transparency is good uh, and they were able to communicate it very effectively on top of that there's been a very uh, strong challenge with treasure chest only cards. So Magic Online, there's two ways of cards entering the market. There is the drafting, which is what we normally think of, and that is important, uh, but it is not the only way. The other way is through these treasure chests, which you win through events, through weekend tournaments, things like that. And previously, cards that were treasure chest only took months upon months to become Uh, abundant in supply and as a result the prices went sky high Uh, we've seen it happen over and over again where cards that were barely played hit um, you know for example some of the recent dragons that you know are edh staples but on magic online that shouldn't matter hit 60 tickets why because there was basically none of them in circulation and so what they did was they created a specific slot in these treasure chests that are devoted to these treasure chest only cards basically fixing the problem uh, because you're guaranteed to hit them very often. Uh, this Mincy and Boo, which we talked about briefly, hit 100 tickets, but then it fell back down to 45 because it's in one in every 400 chests because it has its own slot, essentially. And so very good changes, in my opinion. Uh, it concentrates the value in certain cards, which you know will have a, have a very significant financial impact on them over time. Uh, but to the day-to-day player, all they're going to see is that there's no insane spikes for treasure chest only cards and for cards that are really expensive like when Ren and Six for example hit really high there's a better way to address that through uh, targeted measures going forward. On top of that uh, a few other changes they made limited challenges on the weekends so every weekend we talk about uh, you know the modern challenge that happens the pioneer challenge there's also legacy challenges but there wasn't weekly limited challenges and they finally did add that option and so i think that's important because a it'll give more supply to the system but obviously it'll provide players a, a new way to play uh, every weekend which they've been really clamoring for for many many months and so good win there on top of that they're bringing best of one drafting to magic online for the first time uh, this is obviously a magic arena specific type of format that we never thought would probably come to magic online uh, but they're porting it over on a trial basis and so for dominaria united the first two weeks only they're going to have best of one you're going to play seven matches uh, best of one and that's it for the league 
And so I th- I'll be really curious to see if Magic Online players take it up. Personally, even as a competitive player, I like best of one for drafting. I think it makes it go fast. I like it. It's enjoyable. Uh, I'll be curious to see if others think the same. Uh, so those are some of the, the main changes I want to talk about. But basically, you know, I think from top to bottom, I think Daybreak Games has been doing a pretty good job, in my opinion. And what that says to me is that players can have relative confidence in Magic Online going forward. I know there was a lot of talk about whether Daybreak means Magic Online's going away or if it's going to you know, collapse the economy. And from what everything I'm seeing, that is not the case. Yeah, we should probably refer back to a conversation I think Travis and I had last winter when this was first announced, or whenever that was, I can't remember exactly. The Daybreak Games is a company known for taking uh, games that are at, towards the end of their life cycle and basically specializes in breathing new life into them for as long as their parent companies desire that to happen. And so it's the kind of thing where if your game used to have 10 million daily players and now you're down to 1.5 million, but that's a dedicated crowd and they've, they've been with you the whole time and they're still spending money on your game, then you might move your primary team on to the latest version of the game or some other property that you're working on and you outsource to these guys so that they can take care of this thing. And this is necessary, or not, I mean, was an option for Wizards because they're in this extremely strange place where it's now been years since they launched Arena and they have still haven't shut down the old platform. Now, to refer back to even earlier conversations, that is almost certainly because the ARPU, the average revenue per user, the profitability of Magic Online is higher per user than Arena is. The model is simply more in Wizards' favor. And they were hoping that Arena would scale to such a large size that it would make up for that difference. But the reality is that if they moved all the people that are currently on Magic Online over to Arena, they're going to make less money per person. So when people ask why there are still two platforms, which admittedly from an external perspective is extremely strange, that is the explanation because they make more money running both platforms side by side than they do by trying to shove everything into Arena, which is not yet ready or has not yet justified that decision. Um, But it's funny that you mention all of this because... One of the things I've noticed, I've been thinking a lot about on Arena lately, is how badly Magic needs a strong digital platform for Commander. It is very, very odd to have this billion-dollar game, you know, billion-dollar game that whose are you know I don't think think it's even debatable now whose primary format is Commander, and there's no good digital version of Commander, and. As an interface designer, I can well understand what's going on there. Like, it's tricky. There's both, you know, as an economist and an interface designer, my skill sets overlap here. So I get what's going on. It's both very complicated to have that much action on screen. And it is, especially from a mobile perspective where it's virtually impossible, uh, with the world having shifted so hard towards mobile gaming, it's made it even a, a more impossible task. And there's also this thing where any format that doesn't require you to necessarily buy new cards can be challenging economically. Now, I think there are ways to retrofit the arena economy to address that. If there was something like commander booster packs that could be purchased and possibly traded, contents could be traded, then 
that might be interesting. You know, a dusting system of some sort, plus, you know, commander packs that have an assortment of cards from all past sets uh, may well be one of the things that needs to be explored. It's going to be hard to get to that end goal, but man, is there so much gold over the other side of that mountain, right? Yeah, absolutely. So you played a number of games over webcam. Is it enjoyable? I've never done it. I've never had the desire to. If I'm going to play Magic socially, I want to be in person and do it socially. Uh, how how does it compare to you know having a digital client? So Pro Trader Webcam EDH, I want to say, has been going strong in our Discord every Saturday night at 9 p.m. for about eight months. And it's like a rotating cast of characters. It's not always the same people. Middle of summer, people are busy on vacations and so forth, so folks come and go. But I actually find that the spell table platform that Wizards purchased is uh, a very good platform. Uh, as long as everybody has decent lighting and a decent webcam and a decent mic, then it all works. And one of the things that I thought was a very big dropped ball on Wizards' part during uh, COVID, during the lockdown periods, especially in North America, was that Wizards didn't partner with somebody like Logitech and offer a online commander bundle where they send you a mic and a webcam and a arm to hold it off the side of your desk and a you know a a play mat or something and sell that mm-hmm. to you for whatever $199 vis-a-vis their fulfillment partner who gets the technical components shipped in from Logitech because they bought Spelltable, but they haven't done anything with it. And during a period where almost nobody was going to their local LGS, that was when you wanted to strike. Like In the same way that Magic has done well in recessions, because it is a impulse purchase item that doesn't have a super high price tag, like it has a, a modal cost t- to play, where you kind of get to decide what your budget is for Magic and, and, and make purchases accordingly... In, in much the same way, your your ability to engage with magic is greatly heightened and your uh, motivation to purchase paper magic, especially during the lockdown periods, would have been greatly expanded if you knew that you were building decks for a regular EDH game online. I have at least quadrupled the number of commander decks I have built since we started playing webcam EDH. I think I went into that with like three decks and I'm pretty sure I have 12 or 13 now because it ends up expanding the hobby for you. You you can wizards kicks out whatever 10, 15 new commanders every couple months of relevance. And you can just pick the one that appeals to you the most and go ahead and build that up. And then, you know, you can, if you're double sleeving your cards, you can even be putting your specs in there and getting double action out of them. Like, if you can make money, like, if you can gain value by playing a card for a few months and then, you know, turn around and pull your foil borderless Besaju out when it hits its peak and flip it into the market and replace it with a, a lesser version, you're killing it. Like, I mean, you're, <laughs> and anytime you can, you can make money on your sporting goods equipment you are doing very well for yourself. So there, there's a lot to be said for the um, the non-rotating nature of EDH. I think that's a big part of why it is uh, a centerpiece of the brand at this point. And I think they really need to get their act together and do one of two things. They either got 
need to get digital EDH rolling or they need to lean into spell table and get people playing more commander online. Cause it's not even just about like, some people are never going to enjoy that. Some people want to be face to face person to person, but there is a huge crowd of people that are just lonely and would love to play. I mean, if you live in some relatively remote area, you're in a neighborhood with no friends that play magic, you're traveling overseas, whatever webcam ADH is where it's at. You can, you know, your webcam, your headset and one EDH deck can be hours of enjoyment. Yeah, I, I think generally I favor the spell cam, a spell table approach because I've watched Watsi and try to do digital products for years and it never really ends well. You look at even Explorer, which is their attempt to bring Pioneer to Magic Arena, and they're saying it's going to take years. Uh, and that's, A, it's absurd, uh, but you know they're trying to milk it for value they're trying to release sets slowly over time to be able to get you know forty dollars here forty dollars there uh, rather than hitting it all up front and i get it but when it takes two years to bring a very specific set of competitive cards to one client that you know generally doesn't work that well anyway i can't imagine what it would take to do edh um it i mean it's just so many options so many cards i have a hard time believing that and they could pull it off in general, and if they could successfully. So, yeah, leaning into existing tech, which I, I've only heard good things for people that have used it, generally speaking, seems like it would be the way to go. But I don't know. I, I don't know about you. I tend to try to get out of the house, even if it's outdoors. So they might have missed their window at this point. Tough to say. I mean, heading if you live in the north, heading into the winter period, I think there's still a lot to be said for them pushing a bundle focused on spell table heading into the fall because if you're you know north of the mason dixon line or whatever you you know you probably spend a lot of time indoors during the winter time uh anyway uh we did a pretty decent job of uh talking through the dominaria united cards that are making waves so far we've got the the lords uh, merfolk goblin and elf that are getting tested pretty heavily. We've got Leyline Binding. We've got Shieldred and Liliana tearing up Standard and Pioneer. Anything else that you flagged looking at recent results this weekend? In the Elf's list, I wanted to highlight that Circle, I think it's Circle of Dreams. Is oh yeah, Circle of Dreams, Druid. I have is, a stack of about 50 Foil Extended Arts. Yeah, is in that deck and is doing very well, at least in several versions. There's different versions. And I am just hoping that that card takes off in competitive formats because as you've talked about several times it is you know guaranteed to be a long-term edh all-star and so if you could layer on top of that competitive play i mean it's really to the moon with that um that it's going to take time in edh but if we can layer on competitive i would love to see it so i'm looking at that closely other than that um i wrote an article i'm pulling up to make sure i didn't miss anything in legacy i wanted to point out that and of course legacy doesn't matter for paper disclaimer but it's something again if, if a card's good enough to do well in legacy i always want to make sure to keep an eye on it uh and the shivan devastator was uh, top aided with three copies in a mono red prison deck and that to me was incredible considering i didn't think i could see standard play uh, honestly so Maybe there's something more to that card. I will be watching that one, uh, but I I kind of doubt it. I think it was probably a one hit wonder, but we'll see. It looked it looked like a flying 
Hydra to me. But mm-hmm. when you think about in Legacy that you have access to multiple lands that tap for two mana between uh, Ancient Tomb and... What's the other one I'm missing? Yeah, Ancient Tomb and then um, the City of Traders, Thank you. which is kind of temporary. But Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that lets you potentially on turn three be slamming a Devastator for four and attacking. Um, that's a different situation than I expect it to encounter in Pioneer and Modern. But part, most of the time, not most of the time, but a very good number of times, those Soul Ring type lands are turned off because of the full running four Blood Boons. So it's sort of offset. Um, you know, sometimes you're going to have a ton of mana and just dump into it. But I'd say a fairly significant amount of the time, you're just running a, you know, a mountain basically because of the Blood Moon. But like I said, I don't think it's going to go anywhere, but I would love to see that card secede because no one is giving it any credit, and I don't even like it. But anything that has an X cost always has potential. Um, looking through, you mentioned Children, but you know, seeing two to three times play in Pioneer, uh, you know, if that c- keeps up, I think that is great to see it complement the uh, EDH play that it's inevitably going to see. But unfortunately, I also think that means that the floor gets a lot lower, or gets a lot higher, that it's not going to get as cheap if it continues to see solid Pioneer play, which would be unfortunate. Sure. Uh, I'm certainly looking for an... Uh, I'm hoping it doesn't do well <laughs> in Standard and Pioneer, because I would like Shielder to get very cheap to set up for the long term. Um, but we'll have to see how it goes. Timeless Lotus, I've noticed, is v- much more expensive than I expected it to be. Uh, it, be able to sustain anyway um latest price on timeless lotus heading into opening weekend is looking like 28 dollars market that's just got to be way too high oh yeah way too high i mean this this card is going to see play in edh because it says lotus on it uh it taps for wooberg so wooberg decks will run it but they have to get significantly cheaper. So I'm, I, I have no interest in this card until I see it closer to ten dollars. Um, Circle of Dreams Druids. I'm looking back through my orders from late August. This is just like a week ago. I snapped off a bunch of copies between six and eight dollars on TCG Player, and now I'm looking at that page and lowest priced copy for Foil Extended Arts is. $11 and we're down if I'm looking at near mint and light played we are down to just 48 listings with no major walls so I I have every suspicion that circle of dreams druid with or without the elf play is headed for that predicted $20 price point that I'm sure was called on cast a ways back down the road remind me what set is it from it's from AFR so that's the under opened uh D&D Somerset. Yep. Yep. I'll be looking to see if that comes if there's any mass crack job and gives us another entry point on that cheap. I would I'd take another entry even though I'm already fairly deep on that card already. Given that there are $125 CBs on Amazon, that may well be the case. Yeah. But I'm a little mystified by that price point and this set cuz this set does not seem bad to me. This set has old Gnawbone. It has all of the creature lands that are seeing a ton of play. 
Uh, it's got Portable Hole, it's got Tiamat, it's got Treasure Vault, Circle of Dreams Druid, Tash's Hideous Laughter, Deadly Dispute, uh, Lolf, Spider Queen, um, Zorn. Yeah, number of hits. I wonder what the, I haven't looked at the drop rates recently. I wonder if that's part of it, but. I mean, there's. They can only get so low and people will buy them up. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of trash in the set as well, but not yeah. any more so than your average standard set, that's for sure. Um, mm. Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's going to be a lot of gainers out of the set, so I'm, I'm, I'm curious about those. You know, if you get if you open a hundred twenty five dollar CB and you hit even a one old knobbone, you're you're probably doing all right. Yep. And for folks opening Dominaria United CBs, one card that is an uncommon but is in a lot of decks in Pioneer is Phoenix Chick. This is the Flying Haste one one for one red. That has some recursion uh, and can't block, but you know I don't think an aggressive deck that runs something like this cares about that. Uh, and it can be recurred for two red when you're attacking with a lot of creatures and gets an counter if it recurs. This is being played in mono red decks in particular with Chandra uh, Dressed Kill and other uh, hyper aggressive strategies, and it seems to be having a lot of success. It didn't do well in the challenges, uh, but the five O lists are being posted often, so that's another one I'm watching from Dominary United. Heading into opening weekend, some cards I'm looking at are Ellis Il Core, Sadistic Pilgrim. I've played a bunch of uh, Dominary United Limited this week, and that card is crazy good. Like, in token strategies, it's everything you want. I need to get some drafts in. I haven't... I, I always draft, you know, first two days usually, and I just have not had the time. I'm looking forward to it, though. Dominaria drafts are always great. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole bunch of good uncommons in this set. Founding the Third Path, Ellis Ilkor, Relic of Legends, Cut Down, Terra Sunder, Joint Exploration, Phoenix Chick. Yeah, I mean, all, yep. there are at least... Mimo, Micromancer has been mentioned in the Discord. There are at least three or four of those that are probably going to be brickable this weekend. And uh, I'm... Curious to see what people will jump on. And we'll report back on that, I suppose, once we have info next week. All right, where can people uh, find you online, Derek? Yeah, they can find me online on my Twitter. It's at OkoAssassin, along with my occasional articles on mtgprice.com. How about you, James? You can find me on Twitter at mtgcrinic, as well as via my occasional articles on mtgprice.com and my constant haunting of the ProTrader Discord. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com ProTrader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, low-cost group buys, and a super active Discord Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff <clears throat> in stock, including all the best Magic the Gathering singles, a sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% on your order and to support this podcast. That brings us to the end of another episode of MTG Finance Podcast. As always, enjoy the discussion today, James. Thank you, Derek, and we'll see you all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.